What do we do when we get close to the bottom or even hit rock bottom? To where do we run? What do we try to repair? What might we try to find? Do we worry or despair? Do we look for escape? Do we work really hard at trying to fix things? Do we medicate? Do we run to other people? Do we pray and lament to God? I want us to consider what we tend to do when the going gets tough. And those are, those are some good or bad. They're not all the same responses. But then I want us to also think about what we should actually be trying to find, what we should be looking for at those times. Like we may look for escape. We may look for comfort or peace, joy, restoration, justice, and more. Many good things. But today I want to suggest one key thing that we should be on the lookout for, a, a best thing, something that perhaps surprisingly we need more than anything else in those times, and that's grace, God's grace, undeserved favor from the Lord. And we should be on the lookout for grace because if God is for us, who can be against us? And I believe that his grace is present even in the midst of the hardest trials of life. There's a reason that David sings in Psalm 30, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor or his grace is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And grace is always at work. We also need to be on the lookout for grace because there may be nothing that can change our perspective on life in any given moment more than grace. Grace helps us see how undeserving we are as sinful people, and yet how loved we are. It helps us see how God is with us and gives us hope for the future. The Bible contains an old short story that beautifully illustrates this for us in the story of Ruth. And I invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 2 at this time. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can find one hopefully in the seat, the bottom of the seat in front of you. And we'll be in Ruth 2. Last Sunday, we heard the beginning of this story for a pair of women, for Naomi and Ruth, over a, a nightmarish decade of suffering, they clearly hit rock bottom. Naomi fled a famine in Israel for Moab with her husband and sons, only to have them all die there, leaving her alone and abandoned in a foreign land. And chapter 1 recounts her journey home to Bethlehem with Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, who resolutely would not leave her side. And in that, she was actually displaying the kindness of God to Naomi. It's a story equally heartrending and heartwarming at different times. 
And we saw that at times the Lord works in, in bitterly difficult ways. And at times the Lord works in graciously kind ways. But that at all times the Lord's work is sovereignly ongoing. That the story wasn't over yet. And the chapter concluded, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So Naomi felt like she went from fullness at the start to emptiness at the end. But, interestingly, the plight of God's people as a whole went in the exact opposite direction. Right? They had moved from famine at the beginning to a harvest in the last verse. Things were looking up, even if Naomi didn't have eyes to see it just yet. And we'll see it pretty much right away in verse 1 of chapter 2, as a knight in shining armor enters the plot. <laughs> well, he's a farmer, not a knight, but you know what I mean. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz, it says, was a worthy man, meaning likely that he was a, a prominent, rich, influential, a man of standing in his community. Meanwhile, over at Naomi's house, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, there were two main problems in Naomi and Ruth's story that needed solving in this book. Food and family. Food and family. How would they be provided for without husbands or sons in a culture where men were very much the literal breadwinners? And would their family continue on past them? Would God provide family? Two kinds of seed. Two distinct needs. So how would God meet those needs? First up is food. The, the two widows needed some way to provide for themselves. Otherwise, they would be impoverished and starve. So Ruth offers to go to work. Maybe she thought, you know, I'm younger, more able-bodied. I should do this. Even if it was a, a risky or dangerous venture for a vulnerable foreign woman. And Naomi says, go for it. Let me, Ruth says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. There were customs and laws in that day in Israel that allowed poor people to glean or to collect grain in farmers' fields. After the harvesters had gone through, they could come and pick up the scraps. Leviticus 19 actually required farmers to leave the edges of their crops unharvest, unharvested and to not pick up all the scraps so the poor could come and eke out some provisions that way. Verse 3 says, So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She just so happened to come upon this field. Again, what a coincidence. In Hebrew, this literally reads, as chance chanced. 
we'd say, as luck would have it. But do you think that this was just Ruth's lucky day? That this was just chance or fate? No, the author is using intentional understatement to to say the exact opposite. Was this a, a stroke of luck or a happy accident? Of course not. Not with God involved. God had carefully guided Ruth to the exact right place at the exact right time. As Pastor David Platt puts it, nothing happens by accident in the economy of God. Everything happens by appointment. This was a divine appointment. And listen, nothing in your life has happened by accident either. And every person that you hang out with or speak with today is a divine appointment. Will we have eyes to see that? Or will we have faith to use those divine appointments for good? I was recently at a pastor's conference in Muskoka. And one afternoon, I was feeling pretty down for a whole variety of reasons, Most of all, having actually just heard of a friend's death that day. And I was sitting on a couch with a book, listening to some music, had headphones on, and an older gentleman who I'd never met came over and sat across from me. I pulled my headphones off, and he asked me a question to to start up a conversation. We ended up talking for over two hours straight, and it was a hugely encouraging time. At one point in that conversation, he mentioned how he had every excuse to not come over and talk with me. Right? He didn't know me. He had things to do. And I was wearing headphones to boot. Like, isn't that the message? Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> but he said, I'm always on the lookout for my next divine appointment. And I happened to be his divine appointment that afternoon. Nothing happens by happenstance. So picture the scene here. Ruth is out in the field of barley, working hard, sweating, picking up grain. And in verse 4, the music changes. Light breaks through the clouds, beam of light down. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Well, maybe not. But Boaz did go out to his fields to to see how the harvest was going. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So right away, we can sense that Boaz honors the Lord in his work. He's a, a godly boss. And we can tell that he's well-respected by his workers. But then as Boaz surveys the scene, he notices an unfamiliar face. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Like, who is that? (laughs) Check her out! Well, (laughs) no, we're not giving any sense of impropriety here. But, who knows, maybe he did have some immediate interest or curiosity. We just know that 
he inquired about her identity. And by asking, whose is she, asked about her place in society. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So the foreman goes like, oh, that's Ruth. Like, you've, you've, I'm certain you've heard about her. The word's gotten out. And in all this, though, Ruth is showing initiative, humility, industriousness, responsibility, and diligence. And that seems to have gotten Boaz's attention. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? That's the question of the day, really the, the heartbeat of the whole passage. Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Now on the surface... This is a story about Ruth finding favor in the eyes of Boaz. But underneath the surface, there's something deeper being communicated. Because the whole book of Ruth is about how kindness, or hesed, like we talked about last week, is shown to people. How it's shown to people from God but through other people. So Ruth is kind to Naomi. Boaz is kind to Ruth. But ultimately, the characters in the story are sharing and showing the character of God to us. So while it might seem like a bit of a stretch at first, it's actually quite appropriate to apply this story to our lives and see how God has been kind or is being kind or will be kind to us. One pastor even labeled this chapter the gospel according to Boaz. As it doesn't only show how Ruth can find favor or grace with Boaz, but it shows how we can find favor with God and grace from God. Which is crucial because our basic human condition puts us at odds with God as his enemies we deserve nothing good from God. We deserve only hell, judgment. Like even if we believe in God, we often constantly try to earn his favor, to, to make him happy, because we want his blessings, right? We want life to be easy or comfortable and to, to go well. We'd love to be healthy, wealthy, wise, or loved. And we know God can give those things to us. And so we work hard at being good people, nice, 
kind, fair, loving, tolerant, polite people. Or maybe we try to stay super active at church or in the community to to curry God's favor. Or we try really hard to fight the sins that plague us, fearing God's displeasure, not realizing that underneath we are assuming and believing that God's grace depends on us. It doesn't. What we need to receive and experience God's grace is to need it. We need to need it. I want you to notice something in what we've read so far. Skim over that first paragraph, will you? How is Ruth identified in these verses? What's she called? as the Moabite, right? Multiple times. Ruth, the Moabite, the young Moabite from the country of Moab. But we already knew she was a Moabite. So, like chapter 1 told us that, so why emphasize it here? I think it was to underscore her position as a, a foreigner, an outcast, an outsider, undeserving, and in need. Like, she doesn't belong here. She's out of place. She doesn't deserve anything here. And look at Ruth's own words again in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? If we see God's kindness reflected in Boaz's kindness, I believe we need to see this truth. That we find favor with God as outsiders needing welcome. You could also say foreigners or outcasts needing family, a place to belong. Same basic point. We find favor with God as outsiders needing welcome. Look back at verse 8 and 9 again. When Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. How's that for an Old Testament pickup line? (laughs) Boaz basically says, Don't worry about going anywhere else to collect grain. Watch where the the women here are working, follow their lead, and no one's going to mistreat you here. I've already made sure of that. And whenever you're thirsty, help yourself. Water's right there. And don't worry about a a thing. This is a safe place. We'll take care of you here. Now, Ruth's original audience would have been stunned, speechless by this. In that day, foreign servants filled jars of water for Israelites and women for men. But here, he's telling Israelite men to draw water for a foreign woman to drink freely. And even though Ruth was not and would not be working for Boaz, it's almost like he hires her on the spot. 
Like she, he gives her the full employee rights, shows her around the workplace. She's given welcome, access, status, and approval within Boaz's farm and household. This was an enormous step up in the world for a poor foreign widow. And like Ruth, we are naturally foreigners to the people of God. We've been outcasts since we were cast out of Eden. And we don't belong with God's people, and we know we don't deserve to be welcomed in, welcomed into the kingdom, let alone welcomed into the family. And yet, that is how we find favor with God as outsiders. Andrew Wilson and Alistair Roberts point out the parallels of this, saying, like Ruth, when she first meets Boaz, we are outsiders when we first meet Jesus. Homeless, estranged, hungry, and empty. We come to him because we've heard that he is worthy. A man who blesses those in search of food and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He says to us, as Boaz essentially says to Ruth, don't go anywhere else. Keep close to me, and I'll make sure you're looked after. And then, like Ruth, we're astonished by his grace. And we rightly wonder, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Like, why would he even notice us, let alone help us and bless us? Today, you may be feeling pretty worthless. You may feel vulnerable or invisible. You may feel that you're looked down upon or mistreated by others around you. You may feel like an outsider, whether to church, to your family, to your community or your country. I'm here to tell you today that there is a God who wants to show you favor anyway. And he wants to give you a family, a place to belong. Not because you're worthy of this, but because he is worthy. And because he, our good father, sent his son to establish his kingdom upon the earth. A kingdom that welcomes people in from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And if you are not amazed by that, if you're not amazed that God has treated you an outsider like this, it might be a sign that you are blinded by pride in who you think you are. But if you find your worth, your value in Christ alone and his blood and his acceptance of you, you will be overwhelmed by the grace of God. Forever grateful for it. 
If you've never done so before, I would urge you today to humbly receive the gift of God's grace to you by confessing your need for it and asking God to save you through Jesus' work on your behalf. Come to him in your unworthiness and find his amazing grace. And that is just the start. A second aspect of God's character shown through Boaz here is this. We find favor with God as refugees needing shelter. We find favor with God not as people having it all together, impressive people, but as refugees needing shelter. In verse 11, Boaz answers Ruth's question where she says, why have, you, why have I found favor in your eyes? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So again, Ruth has this sense of not belonging, like I'm, I'm not one of your servants. And yet, she's being treated now graciously as though she does belong. And in Boaz's answer, he marvels at the, the woman of character that Ruth appears to be like. Like, I've, I've heard all about you and the way that you loved your mother-in-law, Naomi, the way that you left your home, made major sacrifices, the way that you've now devoted your life to the Lord our God. And so he prays in verse 12 that God would repay her and reward her for her kindness. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, with that, we may think, well, that's no longer grace if it's a repayment or a reward. But no, the kindness being offered by Boaz is not a reward for past services to him. He says that, that God is really the one blessing Ruth and only using him to do so. And was God being kind to Ruth simply because she was an awesome daughter-in-law? No. Notice what Boaz says again. And may a reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Ruth was not God's employee getting paid. Ruth was God's refugee. Like a, a baby bird scurrying to its mother bird for refuge. That's the picture. And you can picture here God as a bird, maybe a, a mighty eagle or a, a, a great horned owl with vulnerable babies threatened by predators or rain or wind or falling from the nest, but then the mother swoops down, fanning their wings, and the chicks come scampering underneath, finding safety and security and warmth and refuge. 
Finding refuge under God's wings is a common image in the Bible, actually. Like in Psalm 57, where it says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Boaz is not saying Ruth will be rewarded because of who she is, but because of where she is. She was under God's wings. It's not that the Ruth protected herself or provided for Naomi, but that she sought protection and provision in the Lord. Today, you may or may not feel overly vulnerable or in danger, but I believe that we are all frail, fragile mortals who are under attack from evil all the time. We are constantly in danger. And when we are faced with the countless dangers and evils and fears of this world, we need to admit that we are refugees in this world and that, and that we need to fly to God for refuge. You are not blessed by God's favor because you are so valuable or so strong or so important. You are blessed by God's favor because you are so loved and he loves to spread his wings over those who need him. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. I hope that no matter what trouble you're facing today, that you will find refuge and help in him. That you'll hear Jesus actually echoing the words of Boaz. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Don't rely on yourself or justify yourself or take pride in yourself or count on yourself. Run to Jesus, fall on your face before him, and receive his gracious shelter. And if you do, you can then echo Ruth's words. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. It's like she breathes a sigh of relief. She's been comforted, put at ease, and Christ can do the same for us today. She's like, you've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own, and I don't even belong here. Well, Ruth, you do now. I wonder, is there someone in your life that you can be an agent of God's refuge to today? Offering them hope or courage or prayer in the face of whatever's troubling them. Is there someone that God brings to your mind? Like Ruth finds favor with Boaz as an outsider and as a refugee, we find favor with God. But if you think Ruth has been treated kindly so far, you ain't seen nothing yet. Look 
how generous Boaz gets over lunch? Or was it a group date? I don't know. <laughs> Verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Now remember, chapter 1 has had famine, potential starvation, insecurity, migration, and emptiness. Look what happens here. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So now, all of a sudden, we have a poor widow being fed till she is stuffed at a table of a a well-to-do, influential landowner. How far has she come? And in this reflection, we can see the grace God has for us too. See, we find favor with God as hungry, needing satisfaction. We find God's favor as those who are hungry and need to be filled or satisfied. This is beyond physical hunger. We have hunger for all kinds of things in life that only God can ultimately satisfy. We hunger for approval and acceptance, and people let us down here constantly. But if God is our God, and we are in Christ, we have his eternal approval and acceptance. We hunger for improvement and goodness and transformation in our lives. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We hunger for life, an abundant life, a better life than we have now. And Jesus claims, I am the bread of Life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. We hunger for community and family and a place to belong. And the Lord welcomes us to his table, giving us bread and wine to eat together. We hunger for love. And we often go looking for it in all the wrong places. Instead of praying with Moses from Psalm 90, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What a picture is painted here in Ruth for us with with Boaz inviting Ruth to his table and then not only welcoming her among his crew, but serving her and feeding her. Likewise, God not only invites us to feast at his table, but then he intends to serve us there, feed us. He stoops to serve. How dare we refuse to stoop and serve others? Our Lord has done that for us. For poor gleaners, uh, satisfying meal was a big deal. Huge blessing. And this feast is so abundant, Ruth needed some takeout boxes for leftovers. And if that wasn't enough, Boaz wasn't finished yet. Look, verse 15. When she rose to glean, 
Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So he gives her access to the areas of the crops where the most dropped grain could be found. And then he basically tells his workers to be deliberately careless in their harvesting. To, to purposely pull out some stalks of the already harvested grain, drop it on the ground so that Ruth would have plenty to collect and bring home at the end of the day. Like This was an outrageously generous arrangement. <laughs> Shocking grace. This went way beyond anything required by the law for taking care of the poor. I'm sure that some wondered what Boaz was up to. Really, why the special treatment? Was Boaz after something? Had he fallen in love, perhaps? <laughs> like, there may have been additional motives, but all we know is that he wanted to be kind. Boaz prayed for the Lord's favor for Ruth and then became the answer to his own prayer. What an example of, of sacrificial generosity for us. And it, it raises the question, do we even see those who are in need and hungry around us? Or around the world? Like, do we notice the roofs in our church and in our neighborhood? Or do we only pay attention to the people we like who are like us? May we never overlook the outcasts, the vulnerable, the strangers, the immigrants, the homeless, the disabled, the different, the neglected, the hungry, and the poor. And may we use the abundant wealth that God has blessed us with to be a blessing to them, even when they have nothing to offer us in return. What an example for us, and what a foreshadowing of Christ's even greater generosity who didn't just give his crops, but gave his blood and his life. If you wonder how, just how generous Boaz's arrangement ended up being, verse 17 tells us, says, So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now the footnote for that says an ephah is about three-fifths of a bushel. Not very helpful. <laughs> right? But this was the equivalent of around 30 to 50 pounds or 13 to 23 kilos of grain. That's a lot. So this was abundant provision. Naomi and Ruth would eat well for weeks on that amount. And they could sell it off, too, to provide for other needs. Not bad for one day's work. Ruth then sets off for home. Now, imagine Naomi waiting at home for her, maybe anxiously wondering how Ruth would make out. Was she safe? 
Was she mistreated? Was she able to get a bit of food? And then Ruth walks in lugging 20 kilos of grain, plus the leftovers from lunch. It says in verse 18, she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Can you imagine Naomi's wide eyes? And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now this is the first time we've seen this bitter old widow perk up a bit. Seeing this mound of evidence of God's goodness, there seems to be a shift in her heart. Despite all her hardships and all her emptiness, God was still gracious. God was still good. And today, when we are able to see the many graces that God pours out in our lives, we shouldn't just hope for a blessing on him, but actually pour out our praise to him. Blessed be the man who has taken notice of us. Blessed be Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, even as we come towards the end, the best news is still yet to come. Because when Ruth tells Naomi who she was working under, there's a big surprise. Verse 19. It says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi covers her mouth and goes, Boaz? Really? <laughs> wow. She blurts out praise again. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In her words, we also see one more thing. That we find favor with God as people needing kindness. We find favor with God as fallen Limited, broken, dying people who need his kindness. And in a world that seems to get unkinder by the day, God's kindness gets increasingly attractive. And it also gets increasingly needed by us. We're starved for kindness today. When Naomi exclaims, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who is the he she is talking about? Boaz or God? Could have been either one. Scholars aren't sure. But she's much more likely talking about the Lord. And God is the one who never forsook the living 
Ruth or herself. And God never even forsook the dead, their deceased husbands, like he was still looking after them. And this is a a huge transformation from Naomi's bitter words in chapter 1. Naomi's starting to understand that God wasn't cruelly out to get her, but that even in her suffering, he had not forsaken her. She might not have seen his purposes, but now she was seeing his heart. And I hope that no matter what suffering you find yourself in today, that you can start to sense the same. Even if you don't see his purpose, I hope you can start to see his heart. That if you are still living and you love the Lord, he will never forsake you. And that even when you or others come to die, he is still not forsaking you or them. And so I hope that you can, even if through tears, choose to rejoice in your Redeemer today. After Naomi's praise, she goes, Ruth, I need to tell you something else. The end of verse 20. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, what was a redeemer? And why did that matter? Well, this kind of redeemer, also known as a kinsman redeemer, was a legal position within families which carried certain responsibilities. And they were obligated to redeem relatives from financial difficulty, for example. Say if your cousin fell into a huge debt, you'd be called on to bail them out. In some cases, uh, a redeemer was expected to marry the widow of a relative in order to raise up heirs for someone who died childless so their name could carry on. Now, we don't know exactly which legal obligations Boaz had toward Naomi's family here. But whatever the case, Boaz is no longer just some generous, helpful farmer in the story. He's a a near relative with some responsibility to care for Naomi and Ruth. And yes, Naomi was very likely hinting that Boaz was a potential husband for Ruth. Like, Ruth... Boaz is one of our redeemers. (laughs) Ruth, maybe shyly now, adds, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Anywhere else could be too dangerous. Stick there. It's possible that you might sense some friendly plotting on Naomi's part. We don't know. Either way, she agrees that Ruth should accept Boaz's kind offer. And so it concludes, So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And thus... The first major need for Naomi's family has been taken care of. 
food has been supplied by surprising and extravagant provision. Not only did Ruth finish out the barley harvest, but she worked the wheat harvest as well. Now the, the widow's pantry, their, their money purses must have been full, and in his kindness we see God had provided. Can you identify a way today that God has been faithful to provide for you over the years? If so, thank him. God provides. For all the, the blessings this chapter describes, though, it ends with a bit of an anticlimactic letdown. Like, not everything is how we feel things ought to be yet. It says, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Why does that matter? Well, after a number of months, she's still living with Naomi. And we think, get a move on, Boaz. <laughs> What's taking so long? Worse, with the end of the harvest, Ruth and Boaz wouldn't likely see each other that much anymore. But beyond just being romantics, we know by now that there's something bigger at stake. Right? God provided food. Check. But would God yet provide a family? It's a unsettled issue in the story. Ruth doesn't have a, a stable, long-term home. So can we expect God to be even more gracious than he already has been to Ruth? To see whether he does, you'll need to come back next week. <laughs> For now, let me urge you, it is good for us to stay in the fields of the Lord. It is good for us to stay in the fields of the Lord. You have no need to go anywhere else. His fields can and will satisfy us. Like the world dangles all kinds of pleasures and blessings and joys in front of us. Don't go after them. Don't believe the lie that the grass is greener elsewhere. You don't need the fields of money or sex or success or popularity. You don't. The fields of the Lord have plenty for us. And his table holds a feast for us. If you have been looking elsewhere, stop today and run back to him. And when you're hurting, or when you're happy, or anywhere in between, stay with him. Stay with him. Find that his grace has been dropped in abundance for us to pick up. And see that the Lord himself has stooped to serve and satisfy us forever. We're totally unworthy. But he loves to pour out his favor on anyone who recognizes just how much they need him above everything else. Let's pray.